0: One of the uh, the big industries in our country is cosmetic surgery, and I was looking and seeing that last year there were over 11 million procedures done at a cost of 12 billion dollars. And back in 2010, American women this this is this is crazy and. Don't, don't take this personally, if anyone in here uh, sees themselves under any of these categories. But uh, in 2010, more than a million American women underwent lip augmentation surgery. And they paid between 1500 and $3,000 to have it done. And in the Netherlands, their oscular surgeons listen to this. they developed a technique where you can implant little tiny uh, jewelry, bits of jewelry, in your eyeballs, and uh, they can put uh, platinum heart, a star or a half moon, in your eyeballs. In Los Angeles and New York, this is something that they're offering for uh, a lot of the women are getting this done. What they are doing is they are shaving down the pinky toes. It's called a pinky toe tuck, so that ladies can fit their uh, foot. In into a narrower shoe, and so they are paying a lot of money that costs a thousand dollars per toe. but guys, before you feel like you 're uh, out of the woodwork with this one, men are paying between five thousand and ten thousand dollars to get a six-pack of abs. And so what they would do is they come in and they take all the fat away. So if you're willing to do that, uh, then more power to you. But I will uh, stick to eating. And what this shows me really is that, uh, really from what we were singing in that past psalm we were talking about, you make beautiful things, it really just parallels this passage that we're going to be going through today, I think, so well. Because what we really see is that there is an innate struggle, I believe, with humans to think that we are not good enough that we try the, the newest diet, we try the, the newest workout craze, and I have been guilty from that. I've done P90X, I've done Insanity, I've I've tried out CrossFit, and now I just say, Gold's Gym, more power to you. And so, you know, we go and we try these different things because there is a type of insecurity that I believe that we have, that we are longing for something more, but what ends up happening is we put our money, we put our time, and we invest in these things that don't bring us the last hope that we want and really what they are these little quick fixes that will never help us out. And so today what I want us to see in this passage of Scripture will be, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17. We're going to be in verses 11 through 19. And what we are going to see today is we are going to see 10 men who had a real struggle in their life as they had a disease called leprosy. And earlier today I was talking with Jonathan as I was coming out of the office. He said, hey man, good luck today on the lepers. I said, yeah, we're going to be talking about the leopards. And a student heard me and he goes, oh really, the 10 leopards? the Bible. I was like, yeah, they came to Jesus because they wanted to have their spots back. And he's like, oh man, I really want to know more about it. I was like, okay, I feel kind of bad now because this kid totally believes that these 10 leopards came to Jesus. And so I said, "Uh, you'll hear it at the West Campus and and just pay attention and you'll realize what we're talking about. So we look and we see that we have this this real struggle. And that struggle comes because we're trying to put something in place of where God wants to be. And so today, if you have your Bibles, I told you to open up, but we're going to be in uh, chapter 17. And I want to read this passage with you as we look and we see these 10 men coming to God, wanting change in their life. As we continue this series, Encounters, what we are looking at is we are seeing people throughout the Bible who are longing for something more, who need that satisfaction in their life, and they find it when they come to Jesus. And today we see a unique story, and we'll get to that in a moment, where these ten men come to Jesus, but there's one that specifically stands out as he came back to really, truly worship God. And so if you have your Bibles, let's look and see right now in this passage. It says in verse 11, Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. We look at this passage today, and what we see are ten men who had a terrible, terrible disease. And as we look at this, what I really want us to understand is first and foremost, as we see these lepers, that we've all got problems. I think it's easy to examine the Scripture and we look at people, and it's so easy in life to look at other people and say, oh my goodness, you know what, look at them, they're overweight. When you yourself are overweight, you look at them and you say that there's this flaw, but yet we have flaws as well. It's like we try to point out flaws in other people to help our flaws be overshadowed by theirs. And so I think it's even easier to look into this passage and we look at these lepers and we realize that these were people who were outcast in society. These were people that said that they came they were at a distance. Lepers were supposed to be about 50 feet away from everyone because they did not want to get that disease. When they came into a town, they had to shout out, unclean, because they had this disease. Now, what would it feel like if you walked into this church today and you had to shout out, unclean, because you were sick? That would be rather embarrassing. For some, it would be kind of funny. But it would be really humiliating to have to walk around with this on you all the time. And it's so easy to look at our society and we look at different groups and we say and they act in, and as if they are an outcast in society. But truly what we see in this passage is a group of men who were outcast in a society. In fact, because of the weather in, in this area, it's, it's typically windy. Most people would stand at about 200 feet away from lepers when they would enter a town because they did not want to get this disease. William Barclay, one of the great Bible commentators, wrote this about the lepers. He said, it might begin with little nodules which go on to ulcerate. The ulcers develop a foul discharge. The eyebrows begin to fall out. The eyes become starring. The vocal cords become ulcerated. And the voice becomes hoarse and breathe. And they start to wheeze when they breathe. The hands and feet begin to ulcerate. Slowly the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. The average course of that kind of leprosy is nine years and at its end is death. Leprosy might begin with the loss of all sensation in some part of the body. The nerve trunks are affected. The muscles waste away. The tendons contract until the hands are like claws. There follows ulceration of the hands and feet. Then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until in the end a whole hand or a whole foot may drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years. It is a kind of terrible, progressive death in which a man dies by inches. If you have never seen what a person looks like with leprosy, you can go and Google it. Now, I would use uh, discretion in that because some of the images will be very disheartening. I've done it before and I, I don't like to do it again. What you see are hands that just look like blocks. You see faces where you can hardly even see the eyes. These men lived with this terrible disease. And see, again, I think the temptation is to look at them. To look and to see these men and to say, Oh, they, they, they got it so bad. I, I got it all right. You know, I don't think that, that uh, what I have is nearly as awful as them. You know, they've got this terrible disease. I think I'll, I'll be fine and, and I'll just continue to do my own thing. No, see, what we see here in this passage is we look at these lepers, that there is a, a, a physical disease that they have that parallels a spiritual disease that we have that is called sin. And what we see here is in society, these men were separated from everyone else. But when we look at our sin and we truly understand who we are and and accept the fact that we all have problems, we realize that those problems that we have were brought upon ourselves because of a choice that we made. I once heard it said in life, there are no winners or losers, but choosers. And I believe that we have a choice and in our life we have chosen to do our own thing rather than God's thing. And as a result of doing our own thing, what has happened is there is a separation between us and God. No different than what has happened to the lepers in the society where they live. There's a separation between them and everyone else. We see this in the scripture as Isaiah writes in chapter 59 verse 2. He says, but your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God. And your sins have made Him hide His face from you so that He does not listen. Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen says, If I have sin in my heart, God will not hear me. What we see here is that as a result of our sin, there is a separation between us and God. Well, what we really need to understand is as a result of that separation, as a result of our sin, we have a progressive disease in our body where we die by inches. See, all we are doing is when we try to replenish other things for what God wants to give us, when we try to separate ourselves from God and we try to satisfy ourselves in other ways, what we are doing, though we may think we are getting better, we are ultimately hurting ourselves and we are dying by inches. Now who is this for? We see in the Scripture, this is, this, this is all of us. The Bible says in Romans that all have sinned and and fallen short of the glory of God. And and what we are doing when we try to have this quick fix is we are acting in denial that a problem exists. I don't know if any of you have been around anyone who who struggles with any type of addiction. Addiction exists in my family. One of my brother-in-laws has struggled with it. I've seen it. I've seen the hurt, I've seen the pain, I've seen the devastation, I've seen the tears that it has caused my wife, I've seen the tears that it has caused my family. I understand the heartache and it is real. But what you have to understand is you cannot ever solve the problem until you realize a problem exists. And the thing is, is there are too many that walk into this building each and every week and you think that you've got it all together. But what is happening is all you're doing is living in denial of the true problem that exists and you are never truly living with the fulfillment that God wants to give you and the hope that comes through a relationship with Him. And all you're doing is you're lying to yourself. And all that lie is doing is presenting a bigger problem. Problem. If you've been coming here for a while, you've probably heard the story about a nomad who was out in the desert one night and he was hungry inside his tent. As he looked over, he saw that there was a bowl of dates. He he picked up one date, he took a bite out of it, he looked inside and there were some worms, and so he thought, Well that's nasty, and so he tossed it aside. The man being hungry said, so, well, I'll try another one. looks in there, takes a bite, there are worms inside. And he looked and realized there are only a couple dates left. And so he then leaned over and blew out the candle that was beside him and began to finish the dates. You know, I look at that story and I think that that is just like us when we deny that sin exists. What the man did was he just ate in darkness, denying that there was a problem, and he just continued to eat the dates even though they had the worms inside. And what happens is when we live in denial, what we are doing is we are just like that man eating the dates. So what do we do? Well, we have to admit that we do have a problem. That problem is sin, but In solving that problem, we have to find a solution. We see in this passage in verse 12 that the solution is Christ. It says, And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. What we see here in this passage is that in verse 12, it says that the lepers met Jesus. That word met means to encounter. They encountered Jesus. They went to Jesus. What they did was they put their focus on Jesus. See, healing does not begin until we put that shift in that focus and encounter Christ. Because Christ made Himself available to these men, we've got to see that Christ also makes Himself available to us. So what do we do? We see in this passage that, yes, we need to focus on Jesus. And it's so easy to say that, and you come to church, and obviously you expect that, because that's what we're going to tell you, because that's what the Bible tells us. And as a result of following the Scripture and and following Christ that we see through the Scripture, we obviously focus on Him. But practically speaking, what we do is simply just cry out to God. What that word is, is we just pray. See, what God wants us to do as we focus on Him is just to cry out to Him with whatever problem we have. And I'll be completely honest with you. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard for me to pray. It's hard for me, one, just to focus and so what I've had to do is as I've prayed, I've had to just pull out a journal and just write. Sometimes I just write whatever's on my mind and just truly understand that God is there. He's listening. And, and really what prayer is, is, is prayer is for our benefit. Have you ever thought about that? Prayer is for our benefit. It's not for the benefit of God. It's for the benefit of us. Because God already knows what's going on. But as we share with Him, it benefits us. And so just sit in your room quietly. Just talk as if God's sitting there on the side of the bed. I've done that in the car. And people walk, drive by and, you know, I just kind of wave at them. And it's awkward, but I don't care. Know that Jesus is there and just share with Him the things that are on your mind. Philippians 4, 6-9, it says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we see here, if we truly want to experience change, if we truly want to have that satisfaction in our life, we've got to just simply be open to God. We've got to simply just be honest with Him. Let Him know what's going on. And by doing so, we admit that there is an issue in our life that needs to be dealt with. And so we have to understand that we all have problems. But the second thing that we see here is that what Jesus says matters. So not only do we admit that there's a problem, but secondly, what we do is we see that we have to actually act on God's word. You know, if you asked my wife if I was a good listener, she'd probably tell you No. You know, throughout my life, I'll be honest, it's something that I have struggled with because when somebody's talking to me, I'm looking at whatever's on their forehead or something around them and I'm somewhat distracted. You know, it's easy to kind of look aside and not really focus on the things that are right in front of you. But when I look at the scripture, there's one thing that I see is that when God tells you to do something, you do it. You know, my father told me to do something, though I may put it off from time to time. I knew that if I didn't do it, it wasn't going to be good. And gosh, let me tell you this much. I learn it even more now as a married man. You know, when I'm supposed to take the trash out, boy, you better take that trash out. Because you hear about it over and over and over. And some of you definitely know what I'm talking about. And so we listen. And so when we listen, the difference between hearing and listening is one word, and that is action. Or you could call that word obedience. See, those who listen actually act on what they are told to do. And the power comes when we listen to Jesus. So we see in this passage in verses 13 and 14, it says, And lifted up their voices, saying, they came to Jesus, said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. But look at verse 14, it says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were... Cleansed. now that's kind of puzzling when we look into that passage jesus said go to the priest and i'm sure if you've read that passage over and over that's something that has not really just stood out to you and truthfully until i started studying it for this passage or for this message it really didn't mean anything to me but what we see here is knowing who god is god could heal at any given moment if he wanted to we see that as he sat down with, with the blind man and he gave him sight, we see as, as a child was dead and he went and she rose from the grave. We see through the miracles that God has performed what he can do in just a moment. I believe as he spoke, we see in Genesis, as he spoke, we came into being. I believe that our God is powerful and when he talks, it happens. Yet in this passage, he says, go to the priest. But what it shows is something great about God. Because see, what we know about Jesus is this, is that Jesus always acts in harmony with God's Word. See, Jesus never does anything outside of what God's Word has already written. That is why He said that I have not come to abolish the law, but yet He came to be the fulfillment of the law. He still abided by the things of the Old Testament. And what we understand about what Jesus said, we see in Leviticus 14, verses 1 through 9. When a leper was wanting to be cleansed, he had to go to the high priest. He had to go to the priest. And there is a cleansing ceremony that took place, and if they were cleansed, then the priest deemed them clean, and they were able to go back to society. Jesus knew that. Jesus abided by that. And so these men were cleansed, but He took them and told them to go to the priest so that they would act according to God's Word. But the other thing that we see here is it also reveals God's glory. And what it does is it proves even more that Jesus is the Messiah. Because when these ten men went to the priest and the priest deemed them clean, what it showed was the one who cleansed them is the one who has the power. And the one who has the power is Jesus. Because when they went to Him, there is no doubt that they told the high priest who was the one that cleansed them. And so we see that God gets the glory in this as well. But what it also does to me is it also leaves kind of a question mark in my mind. And I understand that, that Jesus was acting according to God's Word. But even in that, if I was a leper and I went to God and He told me to go to the priest, I think that I would doubt His plan. Because in my mind, I'd be thinking, hey, go ahead and just heal me now. I can go on my way or, or I'm going to follow you. I mean, I'd have different thoughts in my head, but one of them would not be go to the priest. Like, why, why do you want me to go over here? You're the one with the power, so why am I going over here? When I was in college, I, I went to North Greenville College for the first two years of school. Went up there to play baseball. That uh, didn't work out, as I blew my shoulder out, and really just knew that that was not what God wanted me to do. And and really, between my sophomore and junior year, that whole year, I struggled. I struggled because I knew that God did not want me where I was. Yet I was still where I was because it made sense. The reason why it made sense for me to stay where I was at North Greenville was because, one, I was on scholarship, so there was a financial reason to stay there. My grades were were pretty good at the time. I was an RA on campus and and was a part of an impact team where we traveled around and did different uh, youth retreats on the weekends. And so there were so many different reasons for me to stay, yet the one reason I knew I shouldn't is because God does not want me to. But I had no evidence to really prove what God wanted other than the fact that I knew that's what He wanted me to do. And I knew that God wanted me to transfer back here to the University of South Carolina. And I was, I was honestly acting in disobedience to God. But I'll never forget this. One night I sat down on my bed and as I laid down to go to sleep, I heard this come loud in my room. It was as if there was a voice right there that said, it's time. Immediately I said, yes, sir. I knew exactly that it was God. None of it made sense, but it makes total sense now. See, I never knew that by obeying God and stepping out in faith, one, that I was going to lose uh, many credit hours, and so that was definitely something to put me behind from that standpoint, but by coming to USC, I had the opportunity to be the chaplain for the the Senate on campus. I had an opportunity to uh, be on a a religious advisory committee while I was on campus. I was the president of a a student organization called Sunday Night Alive for three years while I was on campus there, and as a result of being down here, ultimately it's led to being out at Village Church, and I look and I see the impact that has been made in the student ministry and the lives of these kids. And, And it's simply because of obedience. And I don't say that to toot my own horn or anything like that. But I simply just say that to you as a testimony to following what God is telling you to do. Because I know that it's hard. I know that it's difficult. But I also know that it is imperative. So we look at this passage and we see that though we don't understand God's ways... That His ways are better than our ways. And that we've got to be obedient and listen to God. See, change comes when we understand that we have a problem. Change comes when we listen to what God tells us to do. But lastly, when we are obedient to following God, we have to give credit where credit is due. And demonstrate gratitude to our Savior. It said that Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priest. And they were cleansed. Then it says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks Now, he was a Samaritan, and that is key because Jews did not like Samaritans. And what this shows in this passage is that there are many different types of people who are a part of the ten, but the one that came back was a Gentile. One that was not only a a physical outcast, but also was an outcast because of, of the type of nationality that they were. And so they were an outcast to all in that area, yet this was the man that came back to Christ. Says in Jesus answered, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. When we look at this passage, we see two things. Is that one, this man came back and he said thank you. He simply gave God the praise that God deserves. And the question that I ask those here is, are we giving God that same praise? One thing that I I don't necessarily enjoy doing, but I understand how meaningful it is for people, is writing thank you notes. I mean, for those of you here who have ever gotten a thank you note, it, it feels pretty good. We have a former student who is now one of our interns in the student ministry, Abigail Byrd, and she writes the nicest thank you notes, and that is definitely a gift of hers. You know, and to receive those notes when, when you're just kind of battling the trenches spiritually day in and day out, and you receive something like that, you hold that dear to your heart because it is very meaningful. I keep all my thank you notes that I receive from people in my office because there's some days that you simply just need to pull them out and read them. Man, you know how it makes you feel when you receive one of those notes? Think about how God feels when he does these things for us when we are so undeserving of them and we just simply say thank you. See that thanks is also an act of worship. Because what we see here is that our gratitude reflects our worship. In other words, when we say thank you to God, when this man came back and said he bowed at his feet, we see that he worshipped Christ. He worshipped God. What does that show us? It shows us this, is that no matter what we are doing, no matter who we are, no matter where we are, that God always demonstrates love to us. Keep in mind, there were ten men that were healed And only one came back. Yet Jesus knew that. And He healed all ten. What does that show about our Savior? It shows that even when we turn our back on Him, He never turns His back on us. He always loves us. He always cares for us. But this one man... This one man in Scripture we see. His healing lasted an eternity. I don't know what happened to the nine. But I do know what happened to this one. And it says that his faith made him well. Though the nine were healed physically, this one man was healed physically and spiritually. And as a result of being spiritually healed, one day he was going to leave the body that he uh, has now in this earth. And one day he's going to have a new body with Christ. And he's going to be healed now and forevermore. So the question is what healing do you want today? Are you just wanting the quick fix from God? I have this problem, God fix it. Or are you truly wanting that satisfaction that comes in knowing Christ personally here?